2: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. After all the excitement of the last couple of days in Singapore and Westminster, it is time to return to the real world and it's time to work out what this government is really up to. Prime Minister Theresa May dealt a blow to Tory rebels yesterday by convincing them all to vote with the government and to save her face over the Brexit debate. There's a bit more of that going on today, but nobody really cares. I don't think anything terribly interesting is going to happen. However, today, she does now stand accused of being soft on jihadis and soft on the causes of jihadis. Hundreds of fighters returned from isis land in the middle east have been granted the freedom to go back to whatever it was they were doing before they went over there in the first place to become bloodthirsty terrorists one of them might even be bringing you your takeaway tonight because believe it or not one of them has come back and is working for one of the food delivery companies Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. daisy mccandrew is back and coming up a little bit later on we'll be finding out just why our teenage children are finding exams so tough these days and why Spoons has decided to stop selling champagne from France. Not, I can't believe they sold too much in the first place, Daisy, can you? 03444991000 <laughs> As if that's not enough, Daisy will be trying to update me on the latest news from Love Island and I will be continually trying to resist it. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Daisy McAndrew on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Bad as the big brother music, you know, when you hear it, it gives you that sort of slight uh, feeling of nausea when or, you hear it,
3: or feeling of great excitement. Well, it's I mean, time you, of kick course, back on the sofa, a, a woman
2: of great leisure time, i have got loads of time in- to watch Love Island every single night that it's on. I'm quite surprised actually that in the papers of late, there hasn't been that much on it. You know, I mean, the Sun has only got a little bit on the bizarre column, they've got a tiny little piece on page three well, about somebody leaving, but hardly any of that kind of wall-to-wall coverage that you would expect. No, but
3: I think it hasn't really kicked off yet. It, hasn't, it oh, sort of hasn't heated up yet. We have seven yet, more so weeks of it to go. Yeah, me? yeah. Well, as you said, somebody did leave yesterday, which was all very mysterious. Uh-huh. They just suddenly disappeared. You know right. how in Big Brother or so, quite often, somebody just vanishes right. and it turns out that... Or who was it from the jungle last? It turned out they've I done tweets that were really, really unacceptable. Oh, then. really? So uh, we don't know why Niall left. He's just suddenly sort of disappeared Dis- disappeared right. personal reasons we're okay. told so right. that's that was one thing from last night personal but... reasons well other we can that talk that...
2: to rachel hosey who's assistant lifestyle editor for the independent uh, she doesn't know probably why he's left either but the other story that's going on this morning is that people are saying there's not enough diversity on love island my thought immediately when i heard that was what too many stupid people rachel <laughs> uh, very good morning to you good
5: morning is it
2: true that there are too many stupid people on love island
5: Oh, I don't think we can say that. I think that, you know, there are definitely some people in there that some of the things they come out with, you know, it does make you sort of roll your eyes. I think one of my favourite questions was um, that Hayley said, what's an earlobe? Um, (laughs) And uh, so... um,
3: that was was a source of music, but I don't think we can tie them all with the same brush. But Ra- I imagine the majority know what earlobes are. Rachel, their Brexit chat was um, quite Ooh, head in hands was awesome. moment, wasn't
5: it? Yeah, I mean, you have, I just made me wonder if it was actually if they were putting it on, or if that was if she genuinely didn't know what Brexit was. But clearly, some of them, you know, did. So yeah, but you know, I mean, Haley, as,
3: as you've already mentioned, she is not mm. the sharpest tool uh in the box no. is she and she said that no. you know, did Brexit mean that we weren't gonna have any trees and then yes, turned it I into no cheese. Idea where that came from. It was very, yeah. very odd. <laughs> um but yeah she's she's very pretty, like they all are, but there's not an awful yeah. lot going on upstairs. Uh well, I, I don't know her, so I don't want to jump to conclusions. But it is the impression we've been given. <laughs> yes, maybe it's maybe it's clever editing. Um, but there is this issue, as Mike said, of of diversity. And I have to say, it was the f- I've never watched Love Island until this year. So I've been sucked in this year, uh, but as a as a newbie. But. When I was watching it with, I have to say, that I was watching the opening sort of few minutes with my 12-year-old mm. and I, all I could think was, please don't let her think this is what all women look like. I mean, A, they were half naked and B, they were skeletal. Absolutely. I think I think this is one of the biggest problems of the show and it just seems completely behind the
5: times. We live in twenty eighteen for goodness sake, whereas more and more, you know, companies, clothing lines are putting out these diverse range of models to show that there is not one way to look beautiful in clothes, not one body type you have to have to wear a bikini. And Love Island brings out this lineup of very skinny women and very muscular men. And I think it sends a completely backwards and potentially very damaging message. Mm. And I you know, I feel for you that, that you have a young daughter watching
2: it. But doesn't that also mean, really, that all of this stuff that we are told is all fine and dandy and bigger clothes is, 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 is very much more the norm and everybody's accepting of larger women, that actually uh, the media, as in the mainstream media at least, doesn't accept it?
5: Well, I you know, I imagine what the producers think is that it's aspirational, but I think it's it's completely it's completely backwards and I think if shows like I'm not saying it's completely Love Island's fault, because that you know, it's not the only culprit, but if they if some if a show like Love Island had put in I'm not saying one or two token larger men or women I'm saying just a diverse lineup of bodies of all different shapes and sizes I think it would have had a fantastically positive impact and you know the fact of the matter is this is a show that's meant to be about uh, you know good personalities and coupling up and finding love and people find all different body shapes and sizes attractive so it's not like if you put bigger people in there they would they wouldn't Find love, and it's not well. You know whether people actually go on it for love is another issue. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not like they would—they wouldn't be good television because you know
3: you can have a good. person I mean, entertaining, regardless of your body shape. I suppose one of the problems is that. As somebody put, speaking personally here who flies the flag for the bigger bottomed p- girl, <laughs> I could imagine, you know, if you put somebody of you know my size in there, they would just get so much sort of fat shame and be so embarrassed standing next to these tiny little twigs that you can sort of see that it, it might backfire in a way. But I did rather like you think, why didn't they, you know, maybe just a bodybuilder, a you know, female bodybuilder? So it doesn't have to be somebody who's necessarily an average mm-hmm. size, but just somebody mm. different. Yeah, but I think you're good. both
2: exhibiting what's wrong with our current society. You know, Love Island is. About beautiful people that you want to ogle, okay? That's the only I mean, I don't want to ogle them, so I don't even watch it because it's yeah. rubbish, right? I watched the first episode. I couldn't have been more bored if, if you'd, uh, you know, sat me in front of a blank screen. But at the end of the day, that's what their job is to do. There's no point in trying to make it just like everyday life, like well, going on the tune. It's not seeing just that they're there to people. ogle because
3: you're sort of there to, to, you know, laugh at them or with them or think that, you know, their scenarios are quite funny or dramatic or wait for the you know, cliffhanger. It is, you know, it's a little sort of soap opera. Yeah, but you
2: want them to be it's attractive. More nice to look at, because on the television, I mean, it's the same think, reason you that, can, you know, Kira Knightley is a movie star. If she was fat and ugly, she wouldn't be. <laughs> Sorry.
5: Um, you can be complete, you can be very attractive, very fanciful at all different body shapes and sizes. I agree. So I don't think, I don't think that's an argument at all.
2: And well, of course it's an argument, because that's if how if the business at, works, Rachel.
5: No, but if you look at a show like First Dates, which is genuinely real people, real life people who are, you know, don't look like supermodels or stars. People absolutely adore watching them and their love stories because they, they feel like they're represented. These yeah. are real people.
2: Do they yeah. get as big a ratings as Love Island? Three million a night or whatever it is.
5: Oh, that's. I big... don't know the
3: statistics,
5: but it's a very it's a successful program.
3: program. And of course, you won't be surprised to know it's one of my other favourites. You watch that as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't really get it. the time
2: to do any reading, for <laughs> heaven's sake. But I mean, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be difficult here, Rachel. It's just that you know, the whole of Hollywood, the whole of television, generally speaking, is built around the not just character of characters, but the way that they look. And sure, you can mm-hmm. you can manufacture somebody who is not perhaps classically beautiful and make them into a star like Vera, which is a fascinating and very funny detective show, uh, or Columbo, who stumbles around wearing a raincoat. But you almost have to fake that. Do you know what I mean?
5: The thing is, things won't change until people start changing them. And I think the makers of this show had a responsibility and could, could they could still do something very brilliant with this show. Because um, the fact of the matter is, is their main audience is teenage girls. And studies show that two thirds of teenage girls think they need to lose weight and have low self-esteem. And it, this, this very just co- contributes to the idea that, you know, you can only wear a bikini if you look like one of these girls, and I'm not sure. Yeah, but
2: that's not. But they don't feel like that because. Isn't. But they don't feel like that because they've been watching Love Island. There's all sorts of reasons why they feel like. Of course they, they like do. That. Yeah, that's rubbish. To, they felt like be that before Love Island, Island came along.
3: Yes, yes so but it if did. I'm
5: not saying it's just Love Island, but it plays into this thing, which is a huge problem.
3: Yeah,
2: it is a huge problem, it, but I don't know why uh, you would change it by making Love Island full of people who weren't skinny.
3: But but that's not exactly what Rachel's saying. That it could, they could have a good impact if they didn't all look like Barbie dolls, Um, and you know they're not helping the current situation. But what I'm not sure, because as I said, I'm a newbie. Were they all as stick thin in the previous series?
5: There was a slightly, slightly more diversity. There were girls who were a little bit more curvy, and there was contestant, Gabby, who was a personal trainer. However, we saw her last series break down into tears because she felt she had this incredibly fit-toned body, and she felt unattractive compared to the other girls which I think says it all
3: yeah it does I mean it's interesting can you imagine
2: what would happen I mean those guys on that show that I saw the first night I watched it are pretty shallow right now if you want to have reality then you have to have people with a few more brains as well because if you put other women into that scenario who were not as attractive as say half the women then they would only go for heart for the women that they but thought I think were that's, attractive. That's
3: one of the reasons they have put an a yeah. A&E doctor in this. Here, so he's obviously meant to be the clever one. But I agree. Mm. In fact, we haven't talked about the, the men's bodies, and they are equally ridiculous. They look like they've mm. been pumped yeah, why up you with a bicycle pump. have you been shaming them
2: about, you know, how I'm just awful about it makes you. people me like a, me feel? i No wonder I have low self-esteem, <laughs> and I walk around every day thinking, if only I looked like that.
3: Well, they look even I mean, they haven't got a hair on their bodies. Right. They, mm. I mean, they look, if they if the girls look like Barbies, they look like hens. They yeah. look absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, you know, some of them are. They've run very out of those stupid.
2: waxing strips after the first hour. Well, they're of all the gonna show.
3: get stubbly's quite soon, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if they're doing it. Themselves. Anyway, listen, we're nearly
2: yeah. out of time. I'm sorry, uh, Rachel, to cut you short. I'm sorry we had such a serious conversation about Love Island there. It was meant to be a bit of a laugh. But anyway, never mind. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining us. Uh, and we'll talk thank to you, you soon. Rachel. Rachel Hosey, assistant lifestyle editor for The Independent. See, I blame you. For making me sound Come like everything. some kind of cantankerous old git.
3: Well, I'm not putting words in your mouth, aren't you? And you sounded like a cantankerous git before I came along.
2: <laughs> are you Are you concerned, Andy? I mean, I don't know what your situation is—whether you own your own home or anything. Are you concerned that when it comes time for you to need care of some kind, because inevitably everybody gets to that stage? Are well, you wor- Are you worried that you're going to have to f- pay for it somehow?
1: Well, I, I, I've had so many—you know—I've had triple bypasses and stuff like that in my later years. Yeah. And apparently the doctors say you're all right, because when you kick the bucket, you'll go very quickly.
2: <laughs> well, that's the, the, the sure is, reassuring.
1: You're quite right, aren't you? And and, and it shouldn't be like this. But um, I feel sorry for people who actually do own property. Yeah. Because if you have a house which is valued at, uh, let's say, half a million pounds, just, yeah. uh, just as a figure. Yeah. That's only at a thousand pounds a week. That's only 500 weeks care.
2: Yeah,
1: and once that's it's gone, it? it's gone. And that is all the homes because it's now being privatized. That is all the local authorities, yeah. social services, and the homes are interested in. So, so what happens
2: then in, in that case? Say, for example, you get the 500 weeks care, which is what I read about say 10 years. Um, what happens in year 11 then?
1: Well, they're talking now. I I, I saw um, a a documentary on uh, YouTube or something um, that they are now threatening to throw people out of the homes in Dorset.
4: Really?
1: Because they don't they don't receive enough money from the local authority to pay for their care Right, because the local homes have to apply to the local authorities. Uh, because it's it's a thousand pounds a week, isn't it?
3: Yeah. Um, so basically, you 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 continue to be um, means tested, yeah. And then once you're under the limit, the, the state will start contributing. Right. But, but by that time, you've you've burned through your own Such an your unfair your, system. I and
2: appreciate your call. Thank you very much indeed. O three four 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 nine nine one thousand. I mean, it's such an unfair system because, as, as Andy says, if you've got a house that's say worth half a million quid. Um, they, I presume, you have to sell it and then give them the money, or do they seize it and then do they sell it? Um, I don't know how that well, works. Well, they'll
3: basically say you have to pay for your own care, right? If you've got this great big asset, so yeah. But what, either... say for
2: example, you've got a house that's or a flat that's worth one hundred fifty thousand. You get the same level of care as the person who sold a house for five hundred thousand. Well, that I... doesn't seem right to me.
3: No, well, no, it's not. It's not right, and people say it's a, It's a tax on savings yeah and the, also the, what if you tax have a house on being sensible
2: and what is, and this is why i'm interested in as to the mechanism of how they sell the house because if the local authority sells the house and takes all the money and say you die after the first year then you well, haven't used up that money what happens no
3: they, they they wouldn't take the money they would make you sell the house okay and then make you pay for your own yeah for your own care until such time as you didn't have enough money left yeah but and if, then they would step in
2: right but if you died then before you'd used up all the money, well
3: then the, the money that you had got from selling your go house to will somebody go. Else. But of course you'll pay you'll you'll pay a higher rate of tax yeah. on that as well. It's there a was shocking the, system. No, it really are, is. They, I mean, they, either they, we
2: should have you know what is called free at the point of delivery, i.e., like the NHS is supposed yeah. to be free at the point of delivery, or we don't. And it seems to me that we need to get back to that, don't
3: we? Yeah, well, this is the whole the social care being means-tested versus yeah. the NHS being for everybody. right? But then you've got the other thing of, well, people who can afford it using the NHS and, yeah. in effect, being their own sort of bed yeah. and, you know, Is that fair? Hello,
2: Anthea.
1: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. To get
4: started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight
1: loss.
0: Oh hello Mike. Hello, good morning. Welcome um, to the show. What he, would you like to say? say? Oh, yeah, well, some of this is to do with built-in problems with the system. It's not just Mr. Go. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know about this, but there's a parallel universe of GCSEs that exist oh, out there. Yeah, there's a second set of GCSEs called international GCSEs that are taken by candidates all around the world, from India to Indiana. Ah, OK. And I mean, in my,
2: in my day, and it was a long time ago, we used to have the exams set by either Oxford or Cambridge. They um, are set by, in so, this
0: country. They're, yeah. they're set in this country. So all, the examination boards that, that the children in school are taking, they do a second set of GCSEs for candidates around the world. OK. And they're very popular with private schools and home-educated children. OK. And they've always been 100% examination. Right. And what's happened with the changes to the GCSE is the changes there have been minimal. Mm. In some cases, all they've done is just change the final grades you get from A star to C to 9 to 1. They've just changed the numbers.
2: So they've done and, the same thing, effectively, in terms of... In terms but with of... less
0: disruption. And because of that, the dear lady who was on before me, she said that her daughter didn't have any mock papers, and that's true. If you do the new 9 to 1 GCSEs, you only had a sample and um one exam maybe that they put out whereas i'll give an example my son just took an international gcse in history and i had sample papers for him going all the way back to 2009 that i could use you can imagine how many practice questions he had a chance to do yeah so so he knew what was coming that's right and the format hadn't changed um, a, a, there were minor adjustments in the sense that it used to be one very long paper and now became two medium-sized papers. But the actual questions were exactly the same. The topics were similar. And when the new 9 to 1 one comes out next year, the format is almost identical and all they've done is just change the numbers so, on the front. So, Anthea, and, Ma- yeah.
3: when Ma- we were talking to Marie earlier and she was saying that her teacher, the teachers at Alicia's school... Um, couldn't get mock papers. Could they have got the, the old papers on the international GCSEs? Would they have been helpful to Alicia or would they have been unhelpful? It, it might not have
0: been helpful because sometimes the topics are different. Right. Um, there's a greater range of topics because you've got the capacity, to say, for example, with his subject, to do um, subjects from around the world, not just from I see. UK. But the main thing also is that this this, in other words, disruption can be handled because... The international ones have got to change the numbers, but they've deliberately decided not to change anything else. And the big thing also, also, I have to tell you a little secret, all right? Don't tell anybody. Well, you won't tell you me listening, isn't
4: it?
0: Coursework, because I used to be a school teacher. coursework has been gradually reduced since John Major's time. And with each new Secretary of State or Prime Minister, they've reduced the amount of coursework year on year, and I'm afraid it was because of cheating. The cheating was getting out of control. Yeah, the copying
3: and pasting. All kind, and, and sometimes it was
0: the children doing it, and, of course, kids will be kids, let's be honest. Yeah. But you can usually catch kids quite easily. They're not sometimes very good at it, are
2: they? <laughs> <laughs> <You
4: know. laughs> they're,
0: they're so predictable, it's really sad. Yeah. Sometimes it was their parents, sometimes it was the teachers, sometimes it was the schools. Yeah. And, of course, that's not fair on the people who are doing their best and trying really hard. Mm. So unfortunately, because everybody was behaving like they were living in an episode of one of those gangster films, yeah. they were, they got, they mm. got it, the whole. It's really unfair. It's been like, well, if one kid is naughty and you'll get kept in yeah. into the, yeah.
3: the rotten apple. Everybody
2: everybody here's a question there, for you, Anthea. If, work, if say for example, somebody like Marie was talking about her daughter who had, you know, difficulty sometimes remembering, you know, massive amounts of information, but, but yeah. is actually a good student. If she didn't do well on her GCSEs, could she take these international ones? Like separately or independently, maybe, and get better results? Well,
0: yes and no. Um, because one of the sneaky things that happened was a few years ago, state, state schools quite started to say, well, if it's good enough for the private schools, it's good enough for us. Let's try yeah. these international GCSE thingies. And the government sort of, in a backhanded way, banned them by saying, well, if you do that, it doesn't count on your league tables. And the year after they did that, Eaton came bottom of their local league table. But of course, nobody cares because it's Eaton. Right. So private schools don't, who don't care about their league table results will continue to do IGCSEs. You can, of course, do anything as a private candidate, which is what, of course, my son has done. And that costs you money. You've got to put your hands in your pocket. It's mm. really a bit
3: of a mindful for the parents, especially if you haven't looked into it since you left school yourself. Mm. And, Anthea, the international GCSEs, that's nothing to do with the international baccalaureate. No, it's not. No, it's It's, different. um, No, it's all it is. I'll tell you what it is, is that
0: years and years and years ago when GCSEs were introduced, it was felt that some of the content was so specific to this country. You can imagine if you do a Mm. comprehension paper in English and it's about a news story from England, it wouldn't really be suitable for somebody in, say, Trinidad to have that. So these exams were set up that way, and with the history, they'd have topics that we'd expect to see from the United Kingdom or from Europe, but they'd also have history that, say, covers Africa or India. Sounds much more interesting. (laughs) That's right, but also a lot of these schools in other countries, like the Caribbean or in India, they're very traditional, and they didn't really want to change from O-level. So Mm. that's how come it ended up being a parallel universe. They stuck to very much an O-level-type format, with no coursework. So that's why the change has been minimal. Yeah, and just... a lot of people I know who are home-educated are sticking to our GCSEs because the change, I mean, only yesterday I was investigating for next year for the English. And the English, I asked, I is it what they're doing when they change from A star to C to nine to one? And they said, oh, they're just changing the numbers. Everything else is going to be the same. So you can, you, if you've got money, and I'm sorry to say, if you've got money or you're prepared to do a lot of donkey work, you can find a way to minimise the stress for your children. But that's not to blame the teachers, because I used to be one. I know how much they try hard to help the children. And for all the stress the children are under, the teachers would have also been under stress, trying to ease it through for them. I think it's a bit rough, because I'm probably a similar age to... Well, actually, maybe I'm not. Maybe I shouldn't be rude. Maybe I'm a similar age to Mike. I'm in my early 50s. And (laughs) when we were at school, not a lot of people took exams. And so... You didn't, if you weren't that capable, you just didn't do them. Hmm. You
3: know, you did something else to get... Adopted. Well, I did O-levels
2: and then they also had... Um... But you
3: went to a grammar. Yeah, So you were true. in a very academic environment. Yeah. I, did, I went
2: to grammar. Yeah. yeah, I did O-levels and A-levels, but then other people did... Um, what did they do? Um, what was your... Courtesy? CSEs. CSEs, that's And right, then yeah.
3: apprentices, a lot, lot more apprentices. Yeah,
2: the number of hedgehogs in this country has actually fallen by nearly three quarters, right? Nearly 75%. Uh, there's only half a million of them left in the first comprehensive study of the country's wild mammals since 1995. Uh, So we're going to talk to Faye Vass now, uh, who is uh, an expert in hedgehogs, uh, who's going to be telling us exactly why the hedgehogs are all disappearing and what we can do about it the trouble is though i'm sure i hear this story and see this kind of uh, news once every kind well, of 3 or 4 months
3: well we're coming up to hedgehog season are we yeah which is the sort of late uh, sound like late, the season of a shooting them late late summer to, <laughs> to, to, to autumn so i think it is a it's a perennial favorite uh, sorry but it but, but but every year it seems to be getting worse and it we I read this morning, hedgehogs may vanish from the UK in 10 years. I don't don't remember the last time I saw a hedgehog, do you? Uh,
2: Yes, I do actually. I saw one in a house that I used to live in about five years ago. Um, It came into the garden as I was sitting there. And in those days I used to sit outside smoking quite a lot. And um, you, you, they make a great sound. They're making a little rustling the sound. A little rustling sound. Yeah.
3: And had you left milk out? No. I think we used to be told to leave milk out, and I'm not sure that that's the advice No, he anymore. just kind of
2: wandered across the back patio. Yeah. And, and I stayed very still and watched him, and then he kind of stopped somewhere. And so I got up very quietly and went inside, and the kids got very excited about it because they'd never seen a hedgehog. And I said, right, we will to come out and watch the hedgehog. Aww. And we put some ham down for him, I don't know why ham.
3: Well, that's probably right, because they eat worms and things. I so guess so, yeah. It's
2: um, but he didn't eat the ham, and he wandered off. He was like, what is this muck? came out a bit later <laughs> on, and there were some slugs eating the ham. <laughs> anyway, let's talk to Faye Vasquez from the British Hedgehog Preservation Society. Faye, very good morning to you.
4: Hello, good morning.
2: Hi. Uh, did I do the right thing, putting ham out, or is that a bad idea?
4: bit salty. All, all us human foods, we have too much salt in them. Ah, right, so, uh, okay. Meaty cattle, dog food's perfect, or, um, and just water to drink. You're right, milk's, milk's not good for hedgehogs. So, yeah, that, uh, but it,
3: it, it was something, from, certainly from my childhood, I always remember being told that, you know, you'd leave out some milk hmm. for a hedgehog. What, where did that yeah. even
4: come from? <laughs> Yeah, I think it did it used to be the advice, but since we found out, you know, we sort of research and find out more about hedgehogs all the time, and uh, and that's one of the things we found out actually isn't very
2: good for uh, them. It's good for badgers. I was in a hotel in Scotland once, and they had a, a friendly badger that used to come every night. They told us, and we were sitting in the bar, and they said, yeah. if, you, if you wait here long enough, they put malted milk out for the badger. The badger would <laughs> a bit come. Horlicks the, for yeah, the badger. and the badger would come <laughs> to the back door and drink the uh, hot the hot milk. Well,
3: the population of badgers is now about the same is as it? the population of hedgehogs. Mm. Is that is that right, Fave? Well, I misquoted um, the I, figures.
4: Yeah, I mean, hedgehog populations are in decline. We've known that for, for some time. Um, so, uh, so, so yeah, they. I, I don't know what the population of badgers is, but uh, hedgehog ones certainly declining. It's
3: about yeah, I think hedgehogs about just just over half a million. And is the main reason for the decline of the hedgehogs that that we've lost the hedges, if you like, and the the way that sort of certainly urban gardens are, are, are made these days has mean they've got nowhere to hide. Is that one of the main reasons?
4: Yeah, I mean, one of the main reasons for the loss of, of or the decline of most of these species that are being spoken about is is you know lack of lack of habitat, um, loss of habitat, and also fragmentation of it, where there's good pockets of land that hedgehogs can use, um, but they don't join up, so they can't sort of support a, a viable population.
3: So, do they wander around quite a lot, or do they, or do they stay in the same area?
4: Yeah, they'll travel about a mile in a night on average. Really? So they do need, yeah, you know, oh. a lot of gardens really. So uh, <laughs> we've been um, asking people as part of our Hedgehog Street project, which is uh, in conjunction with People's Trust for Endangered Species, we've been getting people to make holes in fences, um, just sort of CD case-sized holes in the bottom of boundary walls and fences to join gardens up, so that that you know creates a, a good corridor for, for wildlife to use.
3: And is there anything else? Sorry, is there anything else we can do to encourage them?
4: Um yeah certainly especially during this dry weather things like um, you know just a bowl of of, of fresh water outside is going to be you know very gratefully received. Um food wise meaty cat or dog food's great. Log piles are brilliant because that's natural food and shelter for hedgehogs. Um, all sorts of um, you know things you can you can create a hedgehog home. In fact, and we we recently with the People's Trust um, for Endangered Species did the world the, the the country's first hedgehog house census, and the results from that should be out soon, which um, will hopefully tell us what what the best sort of hedgehog house is, where's the best place to site it, all those kind of things mm. to help us help them more.
2: And are you expecting to be able to reverse this decline then? So that say for example, if we were talking to you in five years' time, you'd have got back up to maybe a million hedgehogs.
4: It would be lovely. Um certainly there is a glimmer of hope. There's uh, the the report we, we produce as part of Hedgehog Street is called The State of Britain's Hedgehogs. Um and that sort of comes out every every now and then most recently this, this um January. And that one showed that it does appear that the urban decline at least is starting to slow. Um and that could well be down to, to people being more aware of the the problem um and making, you know, holes in fences, welcoming hedgehogs into the garden and just knowing what's good and what's not good for hedgehogs.
3: And Faye, one of the reasons why I haven't done these things in the past is because and of course this, this now going to sound very stupid. Because I've never seen a hedgehog. Oh, you never my, actually seen No, no, seen I have seen a hedgehog, but not not in my own garden. Oh, right, so yeah. I've got this you know, pocket-sized garden in London. Mm. I sort of assume that putting a hole in my fence wouldn't make any difference. But of course, I wouldn't have seen one if he can't get through. But I said, is this one of the problems that people think because they're kind of invisible, they don't think? If you,
2: where you live, right? If you put a hole in your fence, you'll have a garden full of rats, probably. So you oh, might want to be careful. Don't you know?
3: I'm <laughs> phobic <laughs> well, about
4: rats. The thing is, ra- rats will scale a fence anyway. So you, if you're getting them, you get. Going to get them. The hole's not going to make much difference. Yeah. Um, but but hedgehogs. You're right. That's exactly part of the problem. Is people think my garden's not much good for hedgehogs, or my garden's only small. But if all of those small, not much good for hedgehogs gardens joined up, yeah. Then that would make a, a lot of habitat, and it might connect to to, to areas that are good for hedgehogs.
3: And or- are there hedgehogs in London and in the in the big conurbations?
4: Yeah, they're certainly young, um, and we, we, we get calls from, we had one yesterday actually from a lady in London who was looking for a hedgehog rescue in North London. She'd found a hedgehog that was poorly in her garden. So they might not be in very central London, but mm. they're certainly on the edges. Um, at I've certainly
2: seen them in London as well.
4: Have you?
3: Yeah,
2: I
4: don't yeah. think
3: I've ever seen one in London. There's plenty of foxes.
2: <laughs> yeah, which are very mangy actually, the foxes. Is, the fox, is the fox population in, in urban areas like London, is that a problem for hedgehogs?
4: foxes can sometimes take hedgehogs um it's not a massive part of their diet i think you know they've they've got their uh, they're more intelligent than that and if they can find an easier meal why wouldn't yeah, they yeah right. um but uh, <laughs> less not, prickly meal yes. <laughs> yeah exactly that so uh, so yeah as long as there's plenty of food and and um yeah, you know, and and a sort of um, nesting places okay. for all sorts of wildlife. Then that that will reduce the risk of predation. And Good.
3: Faye, I did read this morning that the, the sort of hedgehog season was July to September. Does that mean when they're having babies?
4: Yeah, they they well it. Kind of, <laughs> they um they seem to extend their season um, depending on how how long it stays warm for, um at the end of the the sort of autumn time, um so sometimes we've heard of babies being born sort of September October, sometimes as early as March April so, um but yeah the main season is now.
3: And what's right. a baby hedgehog called?
4: A hoglet. A hoglet. Yeah, that's and they're so born cute. without spines. <laughs> Aww. So they've got they've got sort of spines, that they're tucked up under a, a like blister kind of thing, and then w- once they're just a, a you know a, a few hours old, then those spines will start to come through, but be very soft to start
2: mm. with. They're such lovely creatures, Faye. Thank you very much indeed. Good luck with the project, Faye Vass with the British Hedgehog Preservation Society. So there you go. Get your old um, uh, what do you call it the. Um, set square and and, yeah um, cut a hole cut a hole the
3: size of a CD case
2: yeah see in uh, a few
3: years time nobody will know what that means
2: no a CD (laughs) case no I know I know (laughs) I barely remember what a CD case looks like to be honest
3: across the UK online and on DAB the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio
2: if you enjoyed that be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app if you have an opinion on the stories we cover we'd love to hear from you Call us 0344-499-1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.